Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... Baseballs the podcast. Today we are revisiting a Mel, Book, Mel Brooks classic. Um, this is our first time really delving into Mel Brooks on the podcast, so I'm really excited to talk about him and about his work, uh, and this one in particular, because it's the intersection of uh, screwball comedy and Star Wars, so can't go wrong with that. Um, but I am not doing this alone. I am. Uh, I have someone with me. I am surrounded by assholes, uh, and <laughs> this particular asshole, uh, they have been on the podcast before. They are the host of Reignite, Screen Snark, as well as the Fun and Games podcast. Podcast. Please welcome back uh, Matt Storm, aka Matt Storm Mageddon. Hey, I'm so happy to be back and to be counted amongst the assholes here. <laughs> You're not really an asshole, but it was a good intro, I think. Yeah, um, I think so. so. <laughs> uh, Matt, tell us about why you love Spaceballs. Why do you want to cover this today? Sure. So, I mean, I well, first of all, as one of the chosen people like you, I feel like it is prerequisite as a Jew to love Mel Brooks. I feel like it's just in our DNA. Uh, but beyond that, I think it's you know, I, I'm a big Star Wars fan uh, to a fault, I would say now. Like, even the stuff that folks deem not good, I still love. Like, I think Book of Boba Fett was a lot of fun. But, you know, anyway, uh, you can't make all the Star Wars fans happy. But because I'm such a big sci-fi fan, Star Wars and beyond, when uh, I first saw this movie, which I can't recall exactly when, but I assume it was in, during my childhood, probably shown to me by my father, I was like, like you can make fun of other movies? Uh, and being such a dear Star Wars fan, like, and having loved the first Star Wars specifically as a kid, like, this was just like, oh, this is great. And then also, so I think this might have been the first Mel Brooks movie I saw. It probably was. Uh, but, like, I didn't see Blazing Saddles too many years later. I saw probably this and Robin Hood Men in Tights because Robin Hood Men in Tights came out when I could actually see it in the theaters. That was much later on. But I don't think I saw this one in the theaters. I think it was before my time or I was just a little too young to go to the theater but um yeah I, I just I I like how unabashedly ridiculous it is how they don't pass up a stupid joke uh I was nervous to revisit it just because you know comedies from our past don't always handle some material as well as others but uh that said I don't recall any of Mel Brooks's movies aging poorly so I was excited to go back because most of his stuff was like Looney Tunes in real life you know it was like slapstick more than anything else and so I was confident that it would be good and I figured you know I covered a video game we covered music this was the next logical step is to jump in on a movie and continue to uh kindly force my way onto your podcast 
<laughs> you, you're never forced on. You're always welcome. Um, I, I, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. This probably was the first Mel Brooks thing I saw. There's a chance I saw Young Frankenstein before this because that's mm-hmm. fairly tame. Uh, as far as Mel Brooks stuff goes, but like you, yeah, I, um, I, I love Mel Brooks. I, I think if you could make an argument that he might be the single funniest human to have ever lived. And he's this wonderful bridge between like you know, classic vaudeville humor, but then kind of more modern comedy, which I think he had a very big hand in crafting. Um, I kind of don't, I can't think of enough like wonderful things to say about him and his work. There's not enough time to get into all of that today. Um, I, I remember seeing this in the theaters probably because I was a star Wars kid. I was born in 1980. So I grew up on the original trilogy. And so when this came along, my dad was like, ah, perfect. A Mel Brooks movie that I can introduce my son to who will also like it because it's star Wars stuff. And I thought this held up very well. I, I tend to not worry about Mel Brooks stuff holding up largely because, the thing he's parodying one is star Wars. It's proven to be universal and kind of, you know, will last till long after we're dead. And also that like the things in it that are offensive, he's kind of the King at, uh, it's good to be the King. He's the King <laughs> at being offensive in a way where y- you have to understand that like the offensive parts are designed to make fun of the people who are boorish and crass and racist and everything else. And not, the what it appears to be on the surface, you know, see Blazing Saddles, which right. I'm trying to put together an episode on that as well. But like you have a movie that is like built around constant use of the N word and like it still holds up because the joke is not at the expense of black people. It's at the expense of the people who would do them harm. And so he uses comedy as this great like tool to sort of, you know, like he's like, well, I can't go up and punch a Nazi in the face in real life, but I can make the producers and just rail on them as much as I want. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is a fun one though. Cause I think this one is, it's less about societal commentary though. It's in there. Um, but this one is just so silly. Like this is just silly fun. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think why this really holds up is it's not just making fun of Star Wars, though that's predominantly like it is a note for note kind of like retelling of like a Star Wars style story, but with goofy comedy but they also make fun of tons of other science fiction properties as well and like make references to even cartoons and other things and like there are there are there are moments in this film more so than i think other films that he's done where it is something so comical or so ridiculous that wouldn't make sense unless you assume these people were cartoon characters like and and that that part of it is I think really fun because when you think about like life stinks and you know the producers and young Frankenstein there are some of those moments but not as many as that are in this like just pure slapstick. This has way more duck amuck energy. Yeah. Um. And for people who don't know, that's the classic uh, Looney Tunes cartoon where Daffy is being fucked with by the animator who turns yeah. out to be Bugs. Um. But yeah, lots of fourth wall breaks in this. Lots of like playing with the form. Um, and those are, for me, I think my favorite parts of the movie. I think those are the most inspired things in it. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, really excited to, to delve into it. So let's um, let's just jump right in because this thing opens up with, like, the perfect parody of Star Wars. It gives us the crawl. Um, it notes that this is Chapter 11 of the, yeah. uh, <laughs> the, the, the bankrupt chapter of this movie uh, saga. And um, we watch this uh, uh, Spaceball 1, this just enormous ship fly by and comically long pan over the size of this thing. It's, it's really good. 
Yeah, it, and they're using a lot of the same special effects that Star Wars used. So, like, physical models and, like, green screens and, like, as the ship is scrolling, like, I know there's a bit coming, right? Like, so I've seen this movie dozens of times. I think I haven't watched it very recently, which is why I also wanted to cover it because I, I probably watched it at some point within the last five or ten years, but I couldn't tell you exactly when. It was something that used to always be on TV as well when I had cable. Um, but, like, this crawl is happening, and I'm like, I know there's a bit. I know there's a gag. I just don't remember what it is. And, of course, it's the... Uh, the bumper sticker on the back that says we break for no one as you're also sitting there for a good like two or three long minutes just watching the ship slowly go by uh and it's just like you know from the first minute whether you're gonna laugh at this humor or just think it's like like eye rolly and i of course let out a chuckle like it's just there aren't a lot of surprise left in this movie but it had been long enough that i was like i know there's a bit coming i just don't remember what the bit is there's there's really solid like comedic timing on this where like it's hard to do something this long and ostensibly boring but like he knows just how long to string it along before finally we get to the end of this ship as you go oh it's still going like those are hard bits to pull off because like it, you never know exactly where your audience might tap out uh but it's mel brooks he knows um all right so we go into the ship we meet uh colonel sanders the uh the grand moff tarkin for this movie uh, and they, we all rise for <laughs> Dark Helmet, the beautiful, uh, I have to say that because my wife had a crush on him, Rick Moranis, as Dark Helmet. I can't breathe in this thing! We're approaching planet Druidia, sir. Good. I'll call Spaceball City and notify President Scroob immediately. I already called him, sir. He knows everything. What? You went over my helmet? Well, not exactly over, sir. Uh, more to the side. I I'll always call you first. It'll never happen again. Never, never! Oh, shit. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Please, please, please. No, 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 not that. Yes, that. I love this uh, design on his outfit. It's so ridiculous. The the cock and balls tie, the <laughs> everything about it. The best part about seeing this in HD, I, so I watched it on Max. Uh, that's where it's currently streaming. And seeing it in like a high, like an up res is that you can see the details on his suit that just weren't as clear on VHS. Like the tie always stood out, but like the tights, the kind of leotard look of it was very hard to spot. Um, I and like I mean God bless Rick Moranis uh one of my favorite actors you know big 80s 90s actor hasn't really done much lately by choice he kind of like receded from acting in later years but like easily one of my favorite performances of his and then George Weiner as Colonel Sanders like still continues to work today but like this was one of his biggest like lead leading ish roles and like never misses a beat like even from the early moments here uh and it's funny too watching this film. I was watching it by myself, but like I could feel myself the urge to quote along. It's a very quotable movie, probably one of the most quotable movies. But like I'm also alone, well, besides my dog Otis, who already rolls his eyes at me anyway. Uh, and so I could feel myself saying the lines along. And I was like, no, I can't do this the whole movie. I should actually just like sit and watch it. But like it all came rushing back to me, like all the different goofy lines. 
Yeah, and you can hear Mel Brooks's voice in the script, like as even though it's Rick Moranis delivering the lines, when he pops up in that mask and goes, "I can't breathe in this thing," yeah. like you can hear, you know, you can just hear Mel typing away at the keys on this stuff. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just so much like, it's a great character introduction to him. It's, you know, it's a, per, it's the perfect, like nerdy version of Darth Vader. Um, we see his Schwartz ring, which he uses to just blast someone in the balls, you know, echoes of, uh, Darth choking somebody out. Yeah. Uh, and then he always has coffee when he watches radar. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Just the setup for that joke of using the Schwartz is like the guy reaches first throw, like, no, no. And then he zaps him in the balls and he starts holding his balls and falls over and people take him away. It's like, it's a good misdirect. Um, yeah, and then the Mr. Radar, Mr. Coffee joke, like, <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things, like, as a kid, I was like, oh, that's funny, because it's, I guess it's another machine, but, like, as a coffee drinker and who's owned a Mr. Coffee now, as an adult, it's, like, even funnier. It's just so goofy. And the fact that not only is it Radar, but it's called Mr. Radar, like, to boost the Mr. Coffee joke is just, yeah, it's it's a great introduction to the character. I also love the helmet because it's, a, as far as I know, a functioning helmet. Like, it was designed to come up and come down. And, like, you know, of course, the whole bit is, like, Darth Vader, it's a big reveal in Star Wars when you finally see his face after three movies. Whereas in this, it's like, you get five minutes in, he's starting to gag and can't breathe. And also, as a geek with asthma, it's like, oh, this is very funny. <laughs> yeah. Um so we go from here to the reformed Druidism temple on the planet of Druidia, um, where it is uh, the princess's wedding day. Uh, and uh, we meet uh, Dot Matrix, who is voiced by Joan Rivers. I doubt it's her in the uh, suit. I can't imagine she would put up with uh, Beyond Set every day for that, but maybe it is. No, it's um, not. So it's a different actress yeah. name, uh, Lorraine Jennison, uh, uh, who I'm not super familiar with, but was who was the one in the suit walking around. Yeah, and she's our 3PO uh, analog. Uh, and we get into uh, this. We start with this wedding sequence, which is like sort of shades of the Princess Bride. Uh, a little bit of like how like just she does not want to marry uh, Prince Valium, who is jokingly falling asleep. Daddy? Must I go through with this? I'm sorry, my dear. You have to. But, Daddy? Oh. I don't love him. I'm sorry, Vespa. He's the last prince left in the galaxy. Mm. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here on this most joyous occasion to witness Princess Vespa, daughter of King Roland, going right past the altar, heading down the ramp, and out the door. Stop her! Someone stop her! Stop her! Hey, wait! You forgot to get married! Will you stop? What are you doing? No questions, Dot. Get in! And uh, yeah, I, great introduction to her as well. You know, she's she's much more the spoiled brat princess than Leia. Leia's kind of the opposite. She's the, you know, uh, tough as nails one. 
Uh, so we the they decide to uh, abscond from this wedding uh, and escape. So they take off uh, into the sky in her flying Mercedes past the Druidia shield. There's like just a big glass garage door in this thing, uh, which is just pretty funny uh, in and of itself. Yeah, it's this like uh, like it, it does the thing that even Star Wars does of like advanced technology isn't that advanced. If you really look at it like it's made to look advanced, but it's actually just based on existing tech because they can't like they weren't inventing new technology. They were just making it look like new technology. Yeah. Uh, and now we get to the space Winnebago and we meet our heroes Lone Star and Barf uh, Lone Star played by Bill Pullman in his first big role. And uh, barf by the late great John Candy. Yeah, this is a fun scene. A little Bon Jovi. Um, the music in this movie is great, which I keep forgetting that the needle drops in this are pretty great, including the theme song we'll get to later, which like every time I hear it just is hilarious. But yeah, John Candy, one of my favorite actors of all time, uh, some of my favorite movies of all time. And like, of course, as the iconic barf, the uh, Chewbacca kind of analog, eating like a tub of dog food. Uh, quote unquote, and uh, listening to Bon Jovi while like this, this bit of uh, like, again, I love these movies and I love like that there are intelligent jokes, but some of the funniest jokes are literally poop jokes. Like it, you know, Bill Pullman wakes up from a nap on the dashboard and he starts to go barf, barf, like he's going to throw up and like, real, but what he's saying is barf's name is just very, it's just like a very one note stupid joke and yet i love it it's one of my favorite openers and then yeah we go from here to them um hopping in in the driver's seat and they get greeted by probably one of the best spoofs i think in the history of spoofs which is uh, dom de character in this film yeah he plays pizza the hut hello hello lone star sorry wrong switch <laughs> hello Vinny. what do you want no, 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 no. It's not what I want. It's what he wants. <laughs> Pizza the Hut! Uh, well, if it isn't Lone Star and his sidekick, Puke. That's Barf. Barf, Puke, whatever. Where's my money? Don't worry, Pizza. You'll have it by next week. No, no. I gotta have it by tomorrow. A hundred thousand space bucks? By tomorrow? A hundred thousand? Ha ha ha! No way! You forgot late charges, which brings it up to, uh, one million space bucks. A million? That's unfair. Unfair to the payor, but not to the payee. Ha 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 ha! But you're gonna pay it or else. Or else what? Tell him, Vinny. Or else pizza is gonna send out for you. <laughs> You're delicious. Bro. Ciao, boys. <laughs> Which is, he's Jabba the Hutt as if he were made out of pizza. And I don't know exactly how they did this effect where he appears to literally be melting like cheese and sauce and toppings and stuff. It's it's a pretty impressive uh, piece of, I don't know if they're um, like just foam latex, uh, you know, if it's all 
makeup and prosthetics or if it's a puppet or what, but it, it looks like it's, you know, this gloppy liquid thing. Yeah. And it's disgusting. Like looking like it pulses too. Like you see bubbles boiling. It's the worst, you know, uh, but they are contacted by pizza, the hut and his, uh, cohort the robotic gangster Vinny. now i have no idea why he's here like that that spoof doesn't read to me as anything other than gangsters were popular but i don't understand that one he's got to me he's got a little bit of max headroom energy oh, sure. but but yeah. max headroom is not a robot he's an a you know he's a computer generated program image but he kind of has some of the same like jerky movements yeah but he doesn't he doesn't really do a lot of max headroom stuff but that was the only thing that my brain kind of went like i guess maybe he's max headroom uh but yeah they're they want uh, one million space bucks or pizza is gonna send out for you for you yeah and like i love that it's just one million space bucks it's not like some new currency or credits or something like it's just space bucks space dollars uh and so now, of course, they're panicking because they don't have the money and they have no idea how they're going to get the money either. Yeah. Uh, and we cut over to Princess Vespa and um, and Dot, you know, in, in their vehicle. And I, I love this bit where her the, she has the Princess Leia hair buns and she takes them off and it's just a big pair of headphones. Yeah. Like Dot's trying to talk to her and she's like, hello. And like eventually she looks over and goes, what? And takes them off. Yeah, it's a good bit. Yeah. Um, so just sort of a quick scene of them before we cut over to Spaceball City and we meet President Scroob, played by Mel Brooks, who this is very much like his exact same character from Blazing Saddles as yeah. uh, the governor. Um, just a, but he's the only one on the Spaceball side with any intelligence at all and not much, but comparatively smart. Um and there's just so many bits crammed into this scene. But basically, he's, you know, he's told, you know, we're told about this air shortage that the planet has. Um, he opens up a can of Perry air to breathe it. Um, and the plan is for them to steal all of the air from planet Druidia. Um, and he has to go to, like, the bridge to tell everybody, you know, basically what the plan is. And so they go through the whole, like, Star Trek beam me up snotty thing. Lord Helmet has just notified us that Princess Vespa is in sight, and Spaceball One is closing in on her. Good, good. We have both ships coming up on the Teladar, sir, if you wish to observe. I'll be down immediately. Shall I have Snotty beam you down, sir? I don't know about that beaming stuff. Is it safe? Oh, yes, sir. Snotty beamed me twice last night. It was wonderful. All right, I'll take a shot at it. What the hell, it works on Star Trek. Snotty, beam him down. Yes, sir. Immediately, sir. Great beasties, what's happened to his head? It's on backwards. This is terrible. Do something. I'm sorry, sir. There must have been a microconverter malfunction. Why didn't somebody tell me my ass was so big? <laughs> Hold on, sir. We'll try to reverse the beam. Could be the interlocking system. Lock one, lock two, lock three, lock Lorman. Are you 
You all right, Mr. President? Fine, fine. No thanks to you. We'll beam you back, sir. Forget it. Forget it. No more beaming. This time I'm going to walk. President Scrooge, salute! Hail Scrooge! But what I love is that like after going through this whole thing where there's like the teleporter accident and his head is on backwards and why didn't anybody tell me my ass was so big? Um, the best part of it is that after all of this, he goes, no, screw it, I'll walk. And it's literally the next r room over. Yeah, and what's even better is that this like short walk is absolutely like a precursor to a bit near the end of the movie that also has to do with walking distance. And I love that. Also love like, uh, you know, are you sure beaming is safe? Yeah, Scott, a snotty beamed me three times last night and it was wonderful. Like, it's just like the humor gets just lewd enough. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love the cast. I also love that snotty is inexplicably Scottish, but his name isn't Scotty. He's snotty. Um, you know, the start, like I said, the, the pulling from other sci-fi, like he, President Scroop literally says, well, if it works on Star Trek, I might as well do it. Like, it's just there's no like veil to it. You know, we don't like in pop culture, we didn't get references this direct until like uh, I remember it when in Avengers, when Iron Man lifts uh, Hawkeye and he goes, you better clench up Legolas like, oh, my God, they referenced the Lord of the Rings in a comic book movie film. Like it just doesn't happen. Right. A lot of these things uh, exist in isolation and don't act like the other things exist. That's the whole point, right? It's your own universe. But I love that Spaceballs, it's like, nope, we're just going to reference everything. They all exist, and we're all going to we're gonna make fun of all of it. And it's a fourth wall break that, yeah, like Star Trek exists in this universe. You know, there's there's so little artifice left by the time they're done with this movie. Yeah. Um, that it's great. Yeah, that, I mean, Mel Brooks has the runway for this movie of his previous movies to kind of, you know, th th there's so much of this that you, you can see in his earlier films, not just Blazing Saddles, but like things like High Anxiety, which is one yep. I like. That's the, the Hitchcock parody. Um, like he's he loves doing this stuff of like just absolutely tearing down the fourth wall, not giving a shit at all, like total cartoon logic. The, the, the plot making sense does not matter in the slightest. It's all in service of jokes, um, but it's Mel Brooks. So you're in good hands. Um, so now the um, the space ball uh, finally run into Princess Vespa and they're going to capture her and the, uh, they fire a warning shot across her nose, um, meaning, of course, they blast it with a laser uh, and they are they put her in a tractor beam. And this is where we get the uh, the classic stuff about uh, everyone in the crew is an asshole. What's going on? It's either the 4th of July or someone's trying to kill us. Put up with this? I'm rich. What are you doing? I'm calling my father. 1-800-Druidia. Careful, you idiot. I said across her nose, not up it. Sorry, sir. Doing my best. Who made that man a gunner? I did, sir. He's my cousin. Who is he? He's an asshole, sir. I know that. What's his name? That is his name, sir. Asshole. Major Asshole. And his cousin? He's an asshole, too, sir. Gunner's mate, first class, Philip Asshole. How many assholes we got on this ship, anyhow? Yo! I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Keep firing, assholes! It's, it's a joke that I feel like still is innocent enough, but, like... 
So it's, uh, you know, they cut back to Rick Moranis. He's like, I said fire across their nose, not up it. Who's firing this thing? And then they cut to the gunner who's cross-eyed. And, like, it's low-hanging fruit, but I think it still reads as innocent enough and stupid. And it's like, who made that man a gunner? And they cut to another captain who's also, his eyes are crossed. Like, what's his name? Asshole. No, I know that, but what's his name? Like, the whole thing. And it's like a mini little who's on first and uh, ends with, you know, I'm, you know, who how many assholes we got on this ship and everyone goes yo and then he goes i'm surrounded by assholes and slams his helmet down and goes keep firing assholes like it's just <laughs> yeah i was gonna say you can tell this was written by a guy who worked on sid caesar's your show of shows you know you feel the writer's room on this like him and carl reiner and like woody allen and neil simon and all these luminaries he came up with you like you absolutely feel them 100 percent all right okay so uh the king calls lone star uh vespa's father uh, and says, you know, I need somebody to help me rescue my daughter. Help me. You're my only hope, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he finds out that the demand is, you know, uh, a million space bucks, which will solve all their problems, of course. Uh, or sorry, the, his, uh, the price for their help is a million space bucks. Um, and I love the last bit of this. Okay, she's driving her Mercedes, last seen Jupiter too, but try to save the car. Yeah, it was a brand new car. <laughs> I also like that the scene right before this is her like, when she's getting shot, the princess, she's like, I don't have to stand for this. I'm rich. And then, like, calls her dad and, like, Daddy, come help me. It's just it's mm-hmm. it's just very good. It's a very, very good, rich, white girl joke. And uh, I appreciate it. There are definitely not enough of them. Yes, she is a, <laughs> a, a classic Druish princess, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so they're in the tractor beam. Lone Star comes in, uh, you know, piloting the Winnebago. Barf goes down in the ladder to scare the crap out of them at first and then lovably, you know, introduce them uh, to him and Lone Star and basically says, Hey, time to go. But, Oh, before this, I'm sorry. We, I forgot the, uh, the jam, the radar sequence with Michael Winslow from uh, police Academy. Well, you don't need that private. We're right here. Now, what is it? Now, what is it? I'm having trouble with the radar, sir. What's wrong with it? I've lost the bleeps, I've lost the sweeps, and I've lost the creeps. The what? The what? And the what? You know, the bleeps. The sweeps. And the creeps. That's not all he's lost. <gasps> sir, the radar, sir. It appears to be jammed. Jammed. <laughs> Raspberry. There's only one man who would dare give me the raspberry. Lone Star. Yeah, this is great. So uh, they're being monitored on radar and Barf is like, well, we can't go in and get them. They'll see us on radar. And he's like, not if we jam it. And so they, and the, the joke is literally at the model, they launch a jar of jam that says jam on the lid. It hits the radar and spreads everywhere. And then it cuts to Michael Winslow, 
looking at the radar and literally making all the noises for it. Uh, for those who are not familiar, Michael Winslow is an incredibly talented actor and comedian who most famously was in the Police Academy movies and was known for making tons of sound effects. And his whole, like, he toured later on, like, his whole stand-up routine was him doing crazy sound effects. And so, of course, he's playing playing the part of the radar as well as... And my favorite joke in the entire movie that used to make me lose it as a kid is so... The radar goes out, and as it's going out, he's making the sound effects. And then once it goes out, he taps it, ding, 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 still making the sound effects, not working. So he picks up a like a, a walkie-talkie to call over Helmet and Sanders, and they walk over. What is it? He does that again. Dark Helmet reaches over and rips the walkie-talkie out of the console, and he goes, what? And then he repeats it clearly. But like the the fact that he does it, and then they take the microphone away and he still does like it's just it's a show it's an it's a like two minute showcase of why uh michael winzo is such an incredible talent and it's great i love it, it it's like a mystery man level uh superpower that he has yeah. like we recorded an episode that uh will come out in about a month on led zeppelin and i mentioned in there that he if you go find it on youtube that there's this clip of him doing a whole lot of love that's just like him and like one guy in an acoustic guitar in real life um but yeah he's otherwise he's robert plant he's jimmy page like <laughs> i don't know how he does it it's just it, it is superhuman um it's incredible um uh so where oh yeah so barf uh, helps them out you know uh, gets them into the um you know the winnebago and uh they take off and we get our meeting between Lone Star and Princess Vespa, who, of course, they hate each other uh, for this movie until they don't. Right. Yeah. And I do love this moment where, like, Barf opens the sky roof, talks to them. What was that? Never mind that. What was that? Ah! Hi. Who are you? Barf. Not in here, mister. This is a Mercedes. Nah, that's my name. Barf. Barf? What are you? I'm a mog, half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend. What do you want? Your father hired Captain Lone Star and me to save you. Come on, we gotta hop up this ladder and get out of here. Good, quick, hurry, darling, all the dog. Mog, I'm a mog. Wait, what about my matched luggage? It's just, it's such a good line. And what sells it, like the reason Barf is such a great character is because John Candy is endearing when he wants to be. He's also played assholes before too. But in this movie, he's so endearing. And then when he does lines like that, you're like, aw. Like you really believe he's a human dog. Like he's just the sweet, sweet creature. It's just, it's the best. Yeah, I, I'm sure we'll get to more John Candy stuff on this podcast as time goes by. But like what a just delightful presence he is on screen. Um, and I can't remember if this is before or after um, Little Shop of Horrors, but they obviously they were together in that. I don't know if they have any scenes together. Oh, no. no yes, they do. Uh, yeah. Uh, because, he, yeah, Rick Moranis is the one who goes into the uh, radio station where John Candy works. And they, you know, two SCTV guys just, you know, at the top of their game, just two of the funniest people ever just uh, being funny together. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like these lines on paper, they're, they're good lines on paper, but John Candy kind of really makes them sing because of that. Just, as you said, endearing energy he brings to everything. Like you do want to, he's so cuddly. Yeah, totally. And like, as far as, um, 
Daphne Zuniga and um, uh, Bill Pullman, like, it's funny, like, they're both very attractive people generally, but they were like heartthrobs at this time in their career. And in this film, they're portrayed as such, right? They're the ro they're meant to fall in love. It's meant to be that cheesy thing. And uh, what I also love about Lone Star's character is he's simultaneously Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. And it, yeah, he's both. And it shouldn't work. But it not working is what makes it funny that he's on both of these. Like, he's the aloof guy, but he's also the natural hero. And we find out he's a prince. Spoiler alert. Like, it's just, it's so funny that they, like, they do the sci-fi trope of cramming all of these archetypes into one character. Um, and, like, I love the scene where they're bickering through the intercom. They're not even talking to each other because they're so focused on getting away. Um, and they are, like, of course, you know, a Princess Vespa is, like, complaining about how it's a pigsty and it's not fit for a princess and all of that. It's just, it's... It's really good banter writing that really sells the characters and uh, and is delivered quite incredibly. Yeah, their chemistry is really good in this movie, and you need it to be for this to work. Yeah. Um, not maybe not their romantic chemistry so much, but their their comedic chemistry has to work, and it does. Uh, uh, so we go back to the spaceballs. They have the car. Helmet is monologuing to no one. I have this in my notes here because as you mentioned, like when you watch this now on like a big screen, you know, TV and, you know, um, 4K, you can see some of the details. I never noticed this before, but his belt is a giant like dime or a 50 cent piece or something. Like you can see like Kennedy's head or whoever. It's, it's you know, it's money. Really yeah. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he reveals, you know, he does the big villain monologue speech where he reveals the air sucking plan, but it is to no one because, of course, they are not in the car. Uh, and, you know, he wants to know who's responsible and everybody covers their balls. Yeah. And then the door to the car comes down on his head and he gets stuck and everyone continues to, like, hold themselves. It's great. Um And, uh, yeah, I, I it, the, the like the written comedy is great, but rick moranis specifically in this film his physical comedy is like some of the best in his career and for sure like this and ghostbusters i feel like are his two best like comedic physical comedy roles because both those roles demanded so much and especially this one because he gets tossed around like a rag doll several times oh yeah they they absolutely abuse the shit out of him uh <laughs> and it is great uh because when we're about to see one of those because the uh the winnebago takes off into hyperspace they need to give chase uh, and so it's time to go to ludicrous speed. What have I done? My brains are going into my feet. was that spaceball one they've gone to plaid we passed them stop this thing we can't stop it's too dangerous we've got to slow down first bullshit just stop this thing i order you stop <laughs> Fine, sir. Good. It's a good thing you were wearing that helmet. Yeah. What should we do now, sir? Well, are we stopped? We're stopped, sir. Good. 
Well, why don't we take a five-minute break? Very good, sir. Smoke if you got them. So the ludicrous speed thing is funny that they have to speed up to this, you know, past light speed, past hyperspace, whatever. That's funny. But one of the things I took note of this time is some of the little things that are going on around it. Like as they are preparing to go to ludicrous speed, they talk about like close all the shops in the mall, cancel the three ring circus. So there's a whole bunch of really funny, like, I guess that's on board the ship. There's a circus, there's a mall, right? All that stuff is really good. Uh, And then we get to the actual physical comedy of them going to plaid as the thing zooms off. And Rick Moranis just, you know, just straining against the, the forces of nature as the ship is speeding up, I think his, his line about my brains are going into my feet. It's so funny. Yeah, it's great. And like what I love about like that, like the special effects are, I think, hold up really well because they're kind of cheesy in the best way. But like when they shoot past them and they go to plaid, then it just cuts to like a light gel over a giant light shining into this vehicle of plaid and just plastering them with plaid light. And it's just it's so goofy. It works. And then like. You know, they shoot past them and Rick Moranis is like, we have to stop. We we overshot them. And my one of my favorite line deliveries by George Weiner in the whole film is, we can't stop. We have to slow down first. As he's like straining against this fake like speed. Um, and he's like, I don't care. Make it stop. And pulls an emergency brake. Uh, and then Rick Moranis on, on wires gets flung forward through a panel and like, it's just from toe to tip a great bit. They pull him out. He's smashed up and bruised up. And he's like, you know, they're trying to talk to him. He's like, how are you guys? Oh, I'm good. Why don't we take a five-minute break? Smoke if you got him. And then collapses. Like, the pratfalls on, in this film also are top-notch. Yeah, he his energy when he comes out of this injury, it's like very much like Lewis Tully at the end of Ghostbusters. About, yes. You know, where he's at the top. Oh, who does your taxes? Like, very <laughs> similar, like, dazed Rick Moranis stuff. Um just I, I miss him so much as a performer. He is so, so funny. Um, all right. So we, we go out of hyperactive speed uh, and they want to go back to Druidia, but they're out of gas. So our heroes uh, say their Lord's prayer and they crash onto what might as well be Tatooine. It's a desert planet. Yep. Uh, and now, now they start bickering uh, and he says, take only what you need to survive, which of course leads to the ongoing joke about her ridiculous amount of luggage that must be taken everywhere they go. Yeah, and like then they they stop like Lone Star makes them stop so they can see what's this thing that's so heavy that she needs to survive, and it turned out to be a giant industrial strength hair dryer, which like for folks who didn't come up in the '80s or who didn't have very thick hair, like that's the gag. Like she's got this these these bu- this beautiful head of hair, which actually comes back in as bits later in the film, and like she has this gorgeous giant. Bu- uh, head of hair but like typically a lot of women especially at that time would blow out their hair to make it look really big and really and it was uh, uh, popular of course amongst Jewish women that's the whole gag and so like then to pull out this unrealistic giant hair dryer that probably didn't it's even a, actually work it's the size of a human torso like it's enormous yeah <laughs> and then he's like like the, the, the line reader like take what you need to survive I would die without it. It's just, it's so yeah. good. It's so, and then they drop it and then they pick it up. And like John Candy has this line that I don't think I ever noticed under his breath when they pick it up and start walking. He's like, oh yeah, so much better now. Totally not having any, like just making fun of the <laughs> idea that he's still carrying like three bags and it didn't really do anything. It's just, it's such a good scene. 
Yeah. And as you mentioned, this idea of like weaving in parodies of other things, like as they're trekking through the desert, the music is evocative of the score from Lawrence of Arabia. Sure. So you know, he's not Mel Brooks is not going to miss an opportunity to do something like that when it shows it up. I mean, I guess it, it, in our, it's arguably low hanging fruit, but there's something about like he would not be doing his due diligence as Mel Brooks to not pick that low hanging fruit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. So now we get uh, they're, they're going to make camp. Um, they're bickering more, but we get to uh, back to the space balls, trying to find them on the scanner. And this is one of the most inspired bits in the movie that they're trying to figure out where they went. And so the solution is we're going to pull out a copy of Spaceballs the movie because technology has allowed them to get a copy of the movie even before they've finished making it. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. How soon? Sir! What? We've identified their location. Where? It's the moon of Vega. Good work. Set a course and prepare for our arrival. When? 1900 hours, By sir. By high noon tomorrow, they will be our prisoners. Oh! So they're watching it, and it's like they fast-forwarded to a point where it's showing exactly that moment now. It's very hard to describe in words what's happening because it's very visual. But, yeah, you've got that, like, screens within screens as it recedes into the the image. Like, this is, for me, like, I think probably my favorite, most inspired bit of the movie. It's really good. And, like, when they open up the film library, of course, it's literally all of the all of the different Mel Brooks films that have come out by that point. And like then the VHS of Spaceballs, which I think was the actual cover they did, which was the Winnebago shooting up into space. Um, I think there were variants of it, but I think that was the actual release of it, which is just even also funnier. And yeah, when they get to like, not only is it one of the best bits, but the wordplay, what happened? Where are we now? What happened to then? That was then, but this is now. When will now be? When will then be now? Soon or whatever. Like I don't even think I got it right, but it's like that whole like back and forth, and then it continues on to we found them, sir. Great, let's go. Who? Like it's just it's a who's on first style bit, but within a Mel Brooks movie. And I, I mean, I love Abbott and Costello. I did an audio project on them in college. Like made an entire room full of college kid, college kids laugh at who who's on first, like bust their gut laughing. Like I love that kind of ridiculous humor. And it's just the scaling anger of Rick, Roman, Rick Moranis while, um, Colonel Sanders is calm, cool, collected. That really mimics the Abbott and Costello of it all to me. And it, you're right. It's yeah. just, it's such a visual bit that also requires specific language that's hard to explain because it's such an in the moment thing. It's so good. Oh, a hundred percent. Like this doesn't exist without Abbott and Costello. Um, it's incredibly weird. Um, but it, again, like I said, inspired, like th- this is such a, um, you know, the, the the conceptual high of this is so good that like you, this is um, you can that you can juxtapose this with like, you know, whatever fart jokes are coming up next. Like, you know, you need a only a Mel Brooks's mind could come up with this kind of a bit. It's that good. Um, all right. So uh, so we have our like one non comedic scene, basically, as um, Lone Star and um uh, Princess Vespa talk about his uh, medallion that he got. He's, you know, he's an orphan. He's got some mysterious past. We don't know. And 
that's uh, they're about to kiss, but Dot's virgin alarm goes off. And it's planned to do, go off before he does. Yes, uh, it's a good bit. And like, but th- this scene, like, I think they have pretty good chemistry as romantic partners, too. But like, what really is fun is that the, the natural, like, there are natural moments within this conversation where they get really close and they're like, oh, uh, and gets shy. And it's like, it that is also a spoof on constant film romantic films where like that that happens between these star-crossed lovers um but then to break the entire scene with this virgin alarm which is literally dot matrix's chest flashing virgin alarm uh it's just joan river like i love joan rivers very funny woman um she she has done she did such incredible work over the years but there's something about this character that just feels so her and like she is she's always been very funny but there's to me like playing the c-3po character and making her less stuck up than c-3po and more relatable and kind of just funny and goofy like i just and this is one of one of her best bits in the film it's it's really great yeah she looks more like c-3po but she has more of i guess r2's attitude if he could talk yeah same same with lone star how they kind of combine luke and um han they sort of combine 3PO and R2-D2 for her. Um, so we go through this, you know, they're, they're trudging through the desert again. They, uh, you know, they need water and oil and room service. And they, they collapse to be saved by um, uh, the Dinks, which are basically Jawas. something when did we get to disneyland yeah i this is another great scene when they're walking like so there's the last scene before they pass out is john candy is carrying dot which part of that is the robot couldn't really walk well in the sand and so there are several scenes where she gets carried down the stairs and other things but like so john candy's carry and also being the gentleman that of a mog that he is carrying her and like they collapse and fall over and dot does this pratfall the actress playing the physical version of dot where she falls onto her back but her leg stays up which is such a good choice and then when lone star falls he drops to his knees drops the princess and then falls to the side next to her but you hear the impact like it's just such a good pratfall and whether it's the sfx team or it's just a really good pratfall or what but like there's just they all pass out and then we see the dink dinks walking to uh be their saviors to bring them water and like also then so they bring them all water to like wake them up or oil or whatever but like they start with barf and when they start to give him water he starts to lap it up and then his tail starts to wag and it's just like again these are tiny bits that you could overlook but are just really good and well crafted yeah i I like these characters they're fun um we'll get a little more of them in a minute um we get a brief shot of uh 
dark helmet and a giant pith helmet, which is a funny idea. Um, uh, before we go to Yogurt's Chamber, uh, which is uh, this giant te- temple, uh, subterranean temple in the, in the desert, where they go through the you know the Wizard of Oz bit, where you know, it's this giant head and a bunch of smoke. Uh, but then eventually, uh, uh, Yogurt, the everlasting know-it-all, uh, also played by Mel Brooks, comes out from behind the statue as uh, sort of their Yoda analog, and uh, he's just playing Yogurt. <laughs> Who dares enter the sacred and awesome presence of the everlasting know-it-all, Yogurt? Yogurt? You heard of me? Heard of you? Who hasn't heard of Yogurt? Yogurt the wise. Yogurt the all-powerful. Yogurt the Magnificent. Please, please, don't make a fuss. I'm just plain yogurt. Yeah, he's just plain yogurt. I like how they're like all describing like yogurt the great, yogurt the brilliant. No, I'm just plain yogurt. And then, of course, goes into one of the one of the like, I think, most Mel Brooks bits of the whole film, which is like, well, what do you do here? Merchandising. But yogurt, what is this place? What is it that you do here? Merchandising. Merchandising? What's that? Merchandising. Come, I'll show you. Open up this door. <laughs> Come, walk this way. Take a look. We put the picture's name on everything. Merchandising, merchandising. Where the real money from the movie is made. Space Balls the T-shirt. Space Balls the coloring book. Space Balls the lunchbox. Space Balls the breakfast cereal. Space Balls the flamethrower. The kids love this one. Last but not least, Space Balls the doll. Me. May the Schwartz be with you. Adorable. Like, and then just reveals all the non-existent Space Balls merchandise. Uh, if you look really closely, the Spaceballs, the comic, the coloring book is actually a Transformers coloring book. You can see Optimus on the cover. I have I that noticed. in my notes. Yeah. yeah. I noticed that this time. I don't know that I ever noticed before, but it's then him showing off all of these different Spaceballs, the T-shirt, Spaceballs, Spaceballs, the flamethrower. Kids love this one. And it says in big letters, four kids on this flamethrower. It's just it, it. These are the kinds of gags that is like this is Mel Brooks at his core. Like. This is a very yeah. Mel Brooks joke. And it's satirizing Star Wars, the franchise, rather than like star the story or characters of Star Wars. Like it's right. you know, very, very, you know, perfect in joke. Because even by this point, Star Wars merchandise was uh, often running real, yeah. real well. Um, yeah, great moment. Um, this Then we go to one of my other favorite jokes in the movie where, um, you know, so we have uh, Scrooge is in bed with the twin these twins. And they're telling him they couldn't find the princess. And he tells them to comb the desert. Cut to them literally combing the desert, you know, with giant combs. Sir. What? Are we being too literal? No, you fool. We're following orders. We were told to comb the desert, so we're combing it. Found anything yet? Nothing yet, sir. How about you? Not a thing, sir. 
What about you guys? We ain't found shit. And so we cut to like a couple like regular combs, and then we have like the two like black stormtroopers with uh, you know with an afro pick, uh, you know, and they say, "Have you found anything?" And they just go, "We ain't found shit." And this is like the one bit of like Blazing Saddles DNA that kind of yeah. really bleeds through with this you know one race joke. But it works because one, the joke is, of course, not that you know black people are dumb or anything else. The joke is they are being unfairly put upon by having a comb that is half the width of all the other combs. Right. And so it's like, yeah, they're not the butt of the jokes. The their overseers are. Right. Well, and of course that that comb is a Afro pick, which is also part of the joke. It's like not only like and and what I love about this film also is there are so many opportunities to just show what an asshole um rick moranis's character is like in the over the way they oversee there's during the escape sequence later there's a bunch of those also it's just like these are meant to be the bad guys these are space fascists and they know they're space fascists and like these kinds of bits are showing that and i yeah it's it's brilliant yeah so we go back to yogurt's helmet i'm sorry yogurt's uh temple and Yogurt is teaching uh, Lone Star how to use the Schwartz. They do the bit where he lifts the statue. He drops it on Barf's foot. And again, with the cartoon stuff, his foot is literally flat. Um, not, you know, it, it's not gone for horror. It's it, They've gone for, you know, cartoon. Yeah. And um, uh, Darth Helmet, uh, Dark Helmet feels the presence of the Schwartz. So they find the door uh, to Yogurt's temple. Uh, and so they decide they're going to do something that will make her come out to them, which is he uses the, the dark side of the Schwartz to call to Vespa in her father's voice. She walks out of the temple and, uh, ha fooled you. Daddy, is it really you? Yes, my dear. I guarantee it. Would I lie? Daddy. Oh, no, Vespa, don't, Vespa! Ah! No. Oh. you. Yeah, it's a good line. She faints and then is kidnapped. What I love is when they find the door, he's like, wait, how can you sense the Schwartz? I thought you only have the Schwartz. And he's like, yeah, I got the, you know, I got the downside. They got, he got the upside. Like, I like that it's not the dark side and the light side. It's the downside and the upside. Um, yeah, this whole thing is great. Um you know, the ha ha fooled you is such a good delivery through the helmet. Um, as far as I know, Rick Moranis is the one doing both voices, which also is funny because, of course, in the original Star Wars, the guy in the suit wasn't James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones just did the voice, and they play with that a lot here, too. Um, yeah, it, it's a really great scene and uh, kind of like shows how powerful Dark Helmet is, that he's meant to be a character who's feared, even if he is still kind of a goof which is like is done really well. I think the there aren't a ton of like dramatic or like serious scenes, but the ones that do immediately play into the comedy again, but also just kind of move the narrative along. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um and they do move the narrative along. Like they they go quick cuz like we're already like okay, as soon as the princess is kidnapped, they wake up, they find out she's gone and uh, yogurt sends them all the way uh, on their way. Uh, he gives them this fortune cookie that will be open later. Open it before you eat it. Um, 
and it says, God willing, we'll all meet again in Spaceballs 2, the search for more money. Yeah, uh, which is which is a multi-level joke because obviously this they're searching for money, right? The characters literally want money so they can get out of this debt. But also Star Wars made boatloads of money and like continued to make money. And it's like the movie is searching for like they're searching as producers to get more money. It's like it's just a multi-layer joke that I don't think I got as a kid. I just thought it was very face value. And I love the depth of that, too. Yeah. And it's also a reference to, I believe, Star Trek three, which is the search for Spock. Yes, correct. Uh, and I think there was some talk about like if they were going to do a, a Spaceballs three or sorry, a Spaceballs sequel, they were going to call it Spaceballs three. What happened to Spaceballs two or something? They were going to yeah. skip somehow. It was very just like, a, again, like surreal idea. Um, all right. So uh, we go to uh, uh, what we think is an interrogation, but it's in fact Rick Moranis playing with action figures. So Princess Vespa, at last. I have you in my clutches to have my way with you the way I want to. No, no, please leave me alone. No, you are mine. Not so fast, Helmet. Lone Star. Yes, it's me. I'm here to save my girlfriend. Hi, honey. Now you are going to die. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, what'd you do to my friend? The same thing I'm going to do to you, big boy. Oh, oh, and you too. Oh, oh. Now, Princess Vespa. At last, we are alone. Oh, no, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Leave me alone. Yet, I find you strangely attractive. Of course you do. Druish princesses are often attracted to money and power, and I have both, and you know it. Oh, leave me alone. No, kiss me. No, no, yes, no, no, yes, no, yes. Oh, 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 oh. Your helmet is so big. Lord Helmet, what? You need it on the bridge, sir. Knock on my door. Knock next time. Yes, sir. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good. Uh, and the things he's saying sounds like he could be masturbating, so he gets very mad when they knock on, you know, I told you to knock on my door wall. This is an unlisted wall. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Knock on my door next time. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, very funny stuff. Um, so we get to space balls, the toilet paper and Scrooge uh, is at a urinal getting a, a, a call from that's the unlisted wall joke. Um, uh, he says he'll be right there. And of course, again, it's literally right out the door. Yeah, uh, I love that uh, in this bit, there's a small moment where when you call it, he's like, this is an unlisted wall. You're not supposed to call here. And then he salutes and reveals his junk. And you can see her like look down a little bit and go, oh, and then like it's just it's a very subtle joke that works really well. Um, I also I love the space ball salute. It's like putting one arm into the other arm and then waving afterwards uh, is just like it, it's such a. It's meant to be aggressive and then delightful. It's very stupid. Yeah, it's like uh, um, a winky version of like a fuck you gesture. It's yes. that's really fun. Uh, so, yeah, so they threaten to uh, give Princess Vespa back her old nose if she will not give away the combination to the air shield. She does. The combination is one, two, three, four, five. No, wait, wait. I'll tell. I'll tell. I knew it would work. All right, give it to me. The combination is... One. 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 Two. 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 Three. 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 Four. 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 Five. 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 So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. 
five. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. That's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. Thank you, Your Highness. Well, did it work? Where's the key? It worked, sir. We have the combination. Great. What's the combination? One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five? Yes. That's amazing. I've got the same combination on my luggage. <laughs> Prepare Spaceball One for immediate departure. Yes, sir. And change the combination on my luggage. Uh, we get to uh, this other, like, fourth wall break where they turn off the movie. Yeah. For a second, it just all goes black. Very, very Quick, very turn weird. it back on. We have to get that fixed. Yeah. Very funny. Uh, and then we talk about the, the bit about the combination being moronic as it is only one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. I love that. The, like what I, I mean, Dick Van Patten, just always great comedic actor. And like in this mm-hmm. moment, like one, 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 like just, you know, as you would repeat a password to make sure everyone gets it down correctly when you're stealing it. And then, God, that's the the same password so or the same combination some idiot would have on their luggage. And then when President Scrooge comes in and they update him, he's like, "Huh, that's the same combination on my luggage." The glance that Colonel Sanders and Dark Helmet exchange, like, "Oops," uh, it's like, "All right, well, let's go." And also remind me to change my luggage. Like, it's just, it's yeah, it's it's like they don't take a break, they don't take a breath. I I couldn't remember if this movie ever drags anywhere. Um, there's a scene later that I thought it had, but no, like the whole. The whole movie is just punchy and like gets you from beat to beat to beat. It's, you know, a joke per second and it's great. Yeah. I, my daughter, uh, we, we gave her like an old iPod to use recently and she set a password on it and the password was one, two, three, four, five. And I was like, Oh, I really wanted to make, you know, have fun with that. But you know, she's seven. I'm not going to give her crap for it, but it was just in my head. How could you not think of this? Um, so yeah, very funny. Um, so all right, so they um, they go to rescue the princess and Dot, um, and this is a pretty visual bit, but basically they, they do the, the shtick on the Death Star. They break in, they grab her, they break out, um, but one of my favorite bits in here is, of course, that they go to capture them, and it's not them. It's their stunt doubles. Yeah, it's this chase sequence where uh, they, a door is closing, and they all dive through it and do these incredible dives. And then uh, uh, Captain of the Guard walks in, played by the incredible Stephen Telponoski, and he walks in, and he's like, I've got you now. And then they all turn around, and the best part of the bit is, of course, the princess is a lean uh, gentleman with a mustache and a cigar. Uh, but it, like they all clearly don't really look like the other actors, but like that's you know stunt doubles. It's meant for a quick glance. And like, yeah, they've captured their stunt doubles. It's another fourth, fourth wall break where it's like, you know, they don't explain it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter. It's just for the bit. Yeah. And on their way out, they accidentally shoot Princess Vespa's hair, which she does not take kindly to. And she mows them all down with a laser. Uh, real actual shades of Princess Leia here. Yeah. And what I love here is like, then she goes, how'd I do getting all delicate again? And both the guys to do a bit of a chauvinistic joke went, oh, it was okay. You did okay. And then Dot pops in and goes, okay, that was great for Rambo. Like, it's just like, I love that too. It's just very much giving her her credit. Uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And like, I love the, the, the space, like the laser effects. It's very Stormtrooper-esque, but like every Stormtrooper does like these, like, uh, over extenuated flips when they get shot too. Some do backflips or fly to the side. And I just, I like how they exaggerated that too. It's a little thing that you would notice if you're a Star Wars fan. Uh, yeah, this whole scene is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, 
so now we go back to the uh, the bridge of the ship and Scroob comes running in. And this is one of the, the callback I think you were seeing before where he's like, he's out of breath. And he says, if I walk, the movie will be over. <laughs> Because that Cause ship the is ship so is huge. so big, which is like yeah. a callback not only to the walking through the the short walk to the, after the beaming, but it's also a callback to the very beginning of the movie when they show the whole ship. It's just like yeah. it's just yeah, it's great. And now we're preparing that ship for metamorphosis, and they ask Officer Kafka to uh, initiate it, which is a joke that went way over my head as a kid. Oh yeah, um, no, I didn't understand uh, that till I was a grown up. Nope. Uh, and so the ship transforms into Mega Maid, this you know, giant uh, sort of Statue of Liberty looking esque um, woman with a giant vacuum cleaner to suck the air literally out of Druidia, which yeah. uh, she starts doing. Yeah, I love that when they cut to the Winnebago, they're like, what is it doing? Oh my God, it's a transformer. Like it's not, it's transforming. Literally says, it's a transformer. Um, and then I love when they finally, when they turn the machine on and it starts to suck the air, it's the three of them, uh, Dark Helmet, Sanders, and Scrooge going, suck, suck, suck. It's just it, it, like, even the childish humor is done so well, it's almost endearing. Yeah. And, and I love the little gags, like after it's done transforming, like you're hearing this sort of, sort of, uh, um, thus spake uh, Zapathustra music from 2001, and when they cut back, you actually see guys with timpani drums, you know, yeah. banging it out. And like they, he pauses so they can like say "Mega Made," and then dun 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 dun. And uh, I mean, John Morris, who did the music for this film, is a genius and has done tons of great stuff. But like the way he emulates so many great sci-fi soundtracks too, without sounding exactly like them, but giving the vibe, the Star Wars tune in the beginning the Lawrence of the Arabia tune like you said before like it's just it's it's all masterfully done and yeah then it's a space ball literally in like a helmet but with a stux hitting a giant drum it's just yeah you can't yeah. you can't do like those visual gags seem so obvious now but back then weren't and are so great yeah so our team of heroes they fly into Mega Maid Mega Maid's ear to reverse this process and then destroy the ship uh and so we get uh, the uh, the Vulcan neck pinch, sort of, as they're disabling the guards. Uh, and eventually we get to the confrontation between Lone Star and uh, Dark Helmet. At last, they meet again for the last time. Not so fast, Lone Star. Helmet. So, at last we meet for the first time for the last time. Before you die, there is something you should know about us, Lone Star. What? I am your father's, brother's, nephew's, cousin's former roommate. What's that make us? Absolutely nothing, which is what you are about to become. Prepare to die. You have the ring, and I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Now let's see how well you handle it. Yeah, for the first time, for the last time. Yeah, I like I like when they're going through the ear canal. It's like, turn on infrared, and so they turn it on. And then at one point, Lone Star like fiddles with other stuff. I said, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm scanning. And then like a little scanner pops out of the bottom of the ship, which is all to make fun of the Death Star run. And then, yeah, once he goes in, he tries to do the Vulcan pitch on a guard. And he's like, did it work? 
no, no, it's much lower between the base of the shoulder and the neck. And you're like, right here, perfect. And then collapses, like, again, directly. Like, they didn't say it, the neck pinch. It's Vulcan neck pinch. Like, they are calling out specific out-of-context things, which is just great. And, yeah, we get the, the, the lightsaber duel, the Schwartz duel between Dark Helmet and Lone Star. And probably the line I said the most. So... Um, it's a physical. It's a physical bit. So if you've not seen the movie, they both have rings. They put their rings to their crotch, and then the Schwartz extends from there. And while they're holding it down there, Dark Helmet goes, "Ah, I see your Schwartz is as big as mine." You know, yep. it's the lowest common denominator humor, but still really funny. And then when they start to fight, they like lift their hands up and fight like lightsabers. And it's a really fun like lightsaber duel. Actually, like looks pretty good still too. Yep, uh, and then of course they get their Schwartzes twisted around each other. Um, they the the ring uh, Lone Star's ring ends up down a grate um, after he does literally says like, you know, look over there, like it's the and he, Rick Moranis just berating him like you fell for the oldest trick in the book, like all of this stuff is so good, like because it, it is this is where it gets real stupid, but like real stupid in a way that is very very funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's one point where they're swinging the lightsabers and uh, Dark Helmet kills the director or camera operator. It's unclear. Like, they show the crew. And then, like, they pan back and he goes, he did it. And Lone Star's like, hey. And then they keep fighting. Like, uh, when he takes the ring from him, like, and then uh, when he goes to shake his hand, ah, you fell for it. It's like, this is the oldest trick in the book. Uh, evil will always triumph over good because good is dumb. Like, is just such a good line as well. And then, of course, we get um, Yogurt in uh, Lone Star's head going, use the Schwartz. And he's like, I can't. I don't have the ring. He's like, ah, the ring. I got that from a Cracker Jack box. It's in you. Use it. And then he pulls a mirror to make uh, Dark Helmet shoot himself in the crotch instead of him. And he falls backwards through the plate glass onto the self-destruct button. Uh, it's just such a great scene that like takes the impeccable choreography of the Star Wars films and boils it down to the dumbest jokes possible. To great effect. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Yep. Uh, and so we get our, you know, the, the, the self-destruct sequence has been activated. We get pandemonium in like the weirdest way of like, you know, there's like a bear just running around, like who gets in an escape pod. And somehow like all of the like clowns and everybody else on the ship gets in the escape pods ahead of the three villains, um, yeah. S Sanders helmet and uh Scrub. uh, while that song plays, um, it, it's just uh, really, really just ridiculous stuff going on. And so many, like way too many sight gags to, uh, uh, to try and describe uh, as yeah. this is happening. But yeah, just, and too, vi too visual for me to play in a clip, but like, yeah, just the, the crazy shit you see during this, like, I don't know, two and a half minutes is just some of the most fun stuff there in the movie. Yeah, and what's best is this is another callback. So, like, when he's talking about locking down the mall and the and the circus, in this scene we see the circus performers running for their lives. We see a pizza person, a pizza delivery person running for their lives, right? Like, so we're getting a visual uh, acknowledgement to that audio joke earlier. And then, like, yeah, then the, the Spaceballs theme plays, which is this 80s rock, like, you know, think of the touch from Transformers, that kind of thing, like, theme for the Spaceballs and describing how terrible they are and the terrible things they do. Uh, the antithesis of what a Star Wars would actually do, right? Like, all of that was the incredible John Williams. And so this is just so brilliant. And uh, 
Yeah, every time they try and get an escape pod, they get beaten out. At one point, a bearded lady beats out Rick Moranis. And I love that the joke is it's just, it's a woman with a beard. And she knocks him out of the way. And then he gets to be the asshole and calls her a fat bitch as he flies away. She's just continuing to show what a shithead this character is. But, like, it's just, like, all of these jokes are played to make them look bad or just for the gag. Like, President Scrooge, of course, you know, being the president and then trying, like, there's one escape pod left. A bear's already gone in it, and he's like, well, I get to go because I'm the president, leaves. And then he's like, what's wrong with this seatbelt? And it's a bear, and bear swipes at him, and he runs. Like, it's so many visual gags, one after the other, that are just done so masterfully. Again, it's that punchiness of this film. Like, it doesn't take a break. It just lets it be ridiculous. Right. Um, so the thing explodes. We see the head and the arm of Mega Maid flying and we can hear them inside going like, Aah! so again, like nobody dies. It's bloodless, you know, crazy movie. Although I, I can't say nobody dies because we find out uh, shortly after this, that Pete to the hut was found dead. Uh, he was locked in his car and ate himself. Uh, <laughs> it's great. And, uh, so that relieves Lone Star of his debt. Um, they drop Vespa off for her wedding. Uh, back with Valium, and they head back to uh, this bar in the middle of space to kind of commiserate. And Princess Vespa tells her father, actually, Lone Star was a gentleman. He didn't take the money. He just he just took uh, enough for gas or whatever and left. Uh, and we go to the um, <laughs> this bar for uh, this crazy, just like scene of them recreating the chest burster bit from Alien. <laughs> Is he alright? Yeah. yeah, the cat digs me. Hey, what's wrong with this guy? I don't know. Bring him some water. Water my ass. Bring this guy some Pepto Bismol. Waitress, waitress. What did he order? Oh, he had a special. That's what I ordered. Change my order to the soup. Good move. Oh, no. Not again. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. But what I love is that they got John Hurt to do it again. Yeah, John Hurt credit is as John Hurt. But yeah, so they're at this din- like space diner space bar, and they're ordering food, and like Lone Star is feeling sad because he clearly really cares for Princess Vespa. Um, and so they get the soup and the special, and then they cut to this group of like looking like marine, like aliens kind of characters, like just kind of goofing and hanging out and chatting. And then John Hurt, of course, like starts to freak out. And uh, they do this chestburster scene, and uh, John Candy goes, "What did he have? Oh, yeah." And like the the, <laughs> I love how calm the waitress is. She's like, "Oh, he got the special." He's like, "I'll change mine to the soup." And then the chestburster comes out, looks vicious, horrible. Could have been one of the ones from the film. It's so hard to tell. Like, um, but then after he gets out, one of the best like. Uh, slapsticky kind of Looney Tunes gag is an actual gag from Looney Tunes where the chestburster looks vicious, gets up, 
and then puts on a little hat, takes out a cane, and starts singing Hello My Baby, Hello My Darling, and dances across the entire bar top, and then gets through the door, and as he gets through the door, Lone Star and Barf stand up at the same time and go, check please! <laughs> it's just, it's so goofy. Yeah, like you said, literal Looney Tunes bit. Uh, my kids have seen that particular Looney Tunes short with with uh, the singing frog. Uh, they love that one. That one's really funny. It is. I, I think usually animators will rank that as one of the best cartoon shorts ever made. And if you haven't seen it, um, go find it. You know, just look for you know, Looney Tunes singing frog. You'll find it. Um, really, really just incredible bit. But yeah, for, what an odd turn because like they've done all these sci-fi turns and they've done Looney Tunes esque things, but this is a literal Looney Tunes bit that they pull out because that song I found out doing research doesn't wasn't a some of the songs that the frog sings are pre-existing songs yeah that song the hello my baby hello my honey that was written for that looney tunes cartoon it, yeah so like literally like we're gonna have him sing that song of all songs it's it's so good i also um, like that when the just purster comes out john hurt for a moment looks up at it goes oh not again and then passes out it's just it really like every parody and spoof in this film is done like like calculated to the to the the nth degree it's just it's so well done yeah uh, and we're gonna in for one more in a minute but first we get through the scene of um uh, bill pullman he opens the fortune cookie and yogurt tells him actually you're technically a prince um so that means you can go marry the princess so come on get on out of here here use a can of liquid schwartz to to get there in time um but before we get to that we get one more scene of uh so the uh the mega maid head and hand land on a beach and we get the end of the planet of the apes parody where the apes come upon what looks sort of like the statue a statue of liberty head dear me what are those things coming out of her nose Hey, hey, watch my helmet. Ah, 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 ah. Oh, uh, space balls? Oh, shit. There goes the planet. Yeah, we see, the, it's such a great gag, we see the three villains crawling out of the nose of Mega Maid. And that there's just, like, what must be, if not actual, very close to actual Planet of the Apes costumes, saying, oh, no, there goes the neighborhood, and just, like, riding apes riding horses. It's just, yeah, another direct like a direct moment from another film that they just spoof. And it's just, it's so, it's so well done. And what, what I always wonder, and I don't know for sure though, the, the info must be out there somewhere. is like how, like how they did the special effects and more importantly, like, did they work with industrial light and magic? Did they consult with them? Like, you know, I always wonder what judge Lucas thinks of this film, right? Like, I think it's all in good fun. I think it's a fun spoof, but you never know. Right. Uh, from what I saw, he did like it. He thought he it was did. really funny. Yeah, That's... which I would expect him to enjoy this. You know, it's yeah. pretty. It's very good natured in its uh, spoofery of Star Wars. It's not mean spirited in any way. No, it's very for Mad sure. Magazine. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and then so we get our final scene where they, um, you know, the Lone Star comes in to stop the wedding. Uh, he says he's Prince Lone Star, and um, the I love that the pre the priests like annoyance like i'm gonna marry somebody yeah i'm already here you know all that stuff you take prince valiant to be your lovely wedded husband uh well i i suppose well oh i don't know no she doesn't what (laughs) who the hell are you prince lone star prince i just 
found out. That's what this says. I'm an honest-to-God prince. Will you marry me? Well, let me think about it. Yes. I'm sick of this. I don't give a damn who it is, but I'm gonna marry somebody today. Who are you? I'm the best man. What's your name? Barf. Your full name? Bartholomew. Are you the one that's getting married? No. Then get over there! Okay, here we go. The short, short version. Do you? Yes. Do you? Yes. Good, you're married. Kiss her. I love you. I love you. Well, goodbye, virgin alarm. And uh, then that's it. Uh, you know, goodbye, Virgin Alarm, and they fly away. Just married. And that's yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah. I, I love this scene, too, because, like, yeah, they're doing the wedding. And he's like, the priest is like, all right, I'm going to do the short version. And starts to do the short version. And then he gets interrupted. And he's like, that's it. Short, short version. Do you? Yes. Do you? Yes. Great. Kiss. Uh, yeah, it's very good. I also love how when they make space tracks using the liquid Schwartz, they're still in whatever outfits they're in, but they have enough time for a wardrobe change because uh, Lone Star then, who knows where he got it from, walks in in his princely outfit while uh, Barf's like headpiece is like groomed back and he's wearing like a black tux. It's just, it's who are you? I'm the best man. Are you the one getting married? No, the get over there. It's just, it's, yeah. It, even the one of the more sincere scenes is still so goofy. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to miss a moment to do something weird and funny, even here at the very end. Like, it's, you know, uh, Mel Brooks has a very, like, you know, if you're not telling a joke or setting up a joke, you're you're wasting the audience's time, right? Like, he, right. He's, he's, like, the density of jokes uh, on this uh, is incredible. Um, but here we are at the end. So, Matt, um, I'll, I'll give you, uh, you know, I'll let you talk, but... Why is it you think that people still love this movie? I mean, Mel Brooks has many classics that people love, but uh, why do you think this one remains, you know, up there in the pantheon? I mean, I think because the while some of the jokes are very specific to the original Star Wars, there are so many jokes that are universal to science fiction that I think makes this movie kind of timeless. I think because like the original Star Wars, it was filmed with physical props and mostly physical gags with very little CGI or digital effects. In fact, the only digital effect I can think of is the lightsabers, the Schwartzes. Uh, it also holds up really well. All the models look great. Um, like even the sucking up of the air, we didn't talk about it when it was happening, but we saw like physical trees come out of the ground from like a model or like the snow come off the, the a mountain. And like all of that was done physically too. Like it's just... I think it's timeless because of how well it was made and how the jokes, while they are, you probably need to watch Star Wars to understand the bigger jokes. The smaller moments, if you're a science fiction fan in general, really, um, really still land. And I think also, like, while there are some jokes that maybe you could argue didn't age well, most of it is very juvenile, kind of like poking fun and punching up. Mel Brooks very rarely punches down, if ever. He only punches up. I think that comes from his Jewish background and, of course, like making fun of Nazis whenever he can because you should always feel good about punching Nazis. Uh, I'll go on record and say that. Uh, it just, I think, like, this film still works so well because it's still about space fascists getting their butt kicked, but it's comedic the whole way through, too. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I love Mel Brooks and I'm really excited to introduce my kids to Mel Brooks. I tried Young Frankenstein. They weren't, you know, it's, it is a little harder to get into because it's a little slower and it's black and white. So it's a little harder of an ask. Um, I still think for me, the Holy Trinity is producers, uh, Young Frankenstein and uh, Blazing Saddles. Um, but all of those movies are not as easily accessible when you're young. Um, you know, the, the, the Mel Brooks stuff I would want to introduce them to is probably Spaceballs, maybe something like the 2000 year old man, those recordings, yeah. uh, which if you have not heard, um, it's basically some of the best improv you've ever heard where he would just do this bit at parties with Carl Reiner as his uh, straight man. Um, Carl Reiner would interview him and he would just be, because he's the quickest wit on earth, just have these incredibly funny things to say as these different characters he would play. But you know, you've got to start somewhere. And this is probably, I think, the best place to start with Mel Brooks. There's really nothing in it that a kid, I think I must have seen this when I was like seven or six or whenever it came out. Uh, you know, nothing I couldn't show to my kids now, um, with the exception of maybe one or two bad words. Like, uh, but it has all of the the screwball stuff, the like the cleverness and the like uncleverness of some of his stuff. It's like, it is the, the perfect launch pad for this type of comedy, which I think, you know, will pay dividends when you do get to some of his more challenging, interesting, complex stuff. Um, so this one, I think will, will continue to stand well. And as long as star Wars maintains its hegemony is in culture, <laughs> you know, you need space balls to take the piss out of it. They did do a, a, a an animated show. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was, I can't imagine it was that great, but, um, you know, the, the, I think that just this one Spaceballs movie is enough to be kind of the ambassador for Star Wars comedy. And yeah, I, you know, this, I'm so glad I got to revisit this one because it's been forever since I watched it. So thank, thanks again for, uh, for suggesting it. Yeah. Thank, and thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. I, I hadn't watched it in quite a bit of time too. Like I said, like in our youth, it was one of those movies that was always on TV. And so like a dedicated watch had been so long for sure. And uh, also like, you know, and like you were saying, I, I, I do want to agree. Like I think above and beyond why this is a good opening film for people who've never seen a Mel Brooks film is because also some of the funniest jokes have nothing to do with Star Wars, like the foot flattening bit or like, you know, barf, I'm a mug. Like, all of that just requires common sense mostly to understand why it's funny. You don't need to know who Chewbacca is. It's funnier if you do, but like, you know, I love all of that. And yeah, I'm glad I brought it. I think it, 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 if you, if you like comedy you sh and you haven't seen this film and you like science fiction specifically as well, I think this is a must watch without a doubt. Yeah. You will not, you will not be sorry. You spent, you know, an hour and a half or whatever laughing along with Mel Brooks ever. Uh, yeah. so yeah, great pick. Um, Matt, if people want to find your stuff, where do they find it? So I think since the last time I was here, I got let out of Twitter jail, which is exciting. Uh, even though that, uh, thank you. Even though that place is still on fire. But um, the best place to find me is Twitter. Um, I refuse to call it X. I will continue to dead name it. I don't believe in dead naming except that platform. Uh, you can find me there at DJ underscore Stormageddon. I'm also the same on Instagram and Twitch. And then I'm just DJ Stormageddon on Blue Sky because they don't believe in underscores for some reason. Uh, if you want to find all the stuff that I do, the best place is DJStormageddon.com. Made it really easy for you. You can find links to all my podcasts there. You can find links to the Patreon for fun and games. Um, if you are looking for a place to engage with video game content and don't want to go to Twitter, um, we have a free tier of our Patreon where you get all the articles and every episode of the main show for free. Um, also, 
any updates to the show, we post there first. And so if there's schedule change or a special guest, you'll see it there. Um, otherwise, if you just want to check out all the shows, a rating and review is always helpful. Uh, if you haven't rated and reviewed this show yet, please do it. I don't know if Doug is going to ask, but I'm going to ask. It's the best way to help indie podcasters and help grow our platforms. But uh, yeah, djstormagain.com. Drop me a line there or say hi on social media. Awesome. And uh, if you want to find our stuff, uh, we are on all the socials. I'll put all the links to Matt's stuff uh, in the show notes and ours as well. Um, but we are on uh, the the social media site, formerly known as Twitter, at uh, Nostalgium Pod. Is, we're also at Nostalgium Pod on Blue Sky. Uh, and then we're Nostalgia Arcanum on Instagram and uh, uh, threads. Uh, we're also uh, Nostalgia Arcanum on TikTok, which is mostly just mostly me doing impressions and fucking around. But hey, if you want to hear me do that uh, outside of the podcast, it's there. Um, so go and listen to that. Uh, as Matt said, drop in reviews for, for the shows really helps out a lot. If, if, you, if there's a podcast you like, not just this one or Matt's, but any podcast you like, do, do write the review. It doesn't take very long, but it makes a big difference to listenership. So um, with that, uh, that probably covers everything. Oh, in terms of a recent and uh, future episodes. So uh, if you have thoughts on our recent ones, which were was our revisit to Disney songs, and before that was Crash Bandicoot. Um, coming up next, assuming I get my act together and get this out on time, uh, after this episode, you'll hear our episodes on RoboCop, followed nice. by The Ter- the Terminator, the first one, uh, then Led Zeppelin, and then I believe after that, it's uh, Happy Gilmore and A League of Our Own. Uh, yeah, A League of Our Own, Their Own. Ah, A League of Their Own. Um all excellent stuff. Really, really fun stuff coming down the pike as always. Um, oh, and I did do a guest shot recently on the Still Loading podcast. Uh, our friend, our mutual friend, um, Josh Covelt's show, uh, talking about the classic point-and-click adventure game, Myst. So, it was a great episode. Um, I actually listened oh. to it very recently. It was fun, oh. phenomenal. Thank you. I think it actually turned out better than the episode of Myst we did on this show because <laughs> I had a lot of audio problems that time. Uh, anyway, um, so that's it for Spaceballs. Uh, thanks again, Matt, for, for dropping by. Thanks for having me, and salute. A salute. Uh, Until uh, next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia Arcade. Right back in the face.